And John talking about that time of the millennium, the same time that Jude's talking about, after Jesus returns to the earth with us, he's taken us into heaven and now he comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth. It says, verse 4, Revelation chapter 20, and I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, those who survived the tribulation or who not who survived it, who were martyred. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So looking at these scriptures, it appears that for us, those of us who are children of God, who have accepted Jesus Christ, the day will come when as Jesus comes back to the earth to rule and reign, to run things, that we will be involved somehow in the administration of his government during that thousand-year period. What will we be doing? Who knows? It doesn't say. But we'll be involved somehow. Now you think, if Jesus is reigning, why does he need anybody to help him to do business and to judge and to administrate? Well, remember that there will be people at the end of the tribulation period who haven't been old enough yet to decide for themselves to accept Jesus or reject him. There may be others who haven't taken the mark for whatever reason, maybe political reasons, but perhaps they haven't accepted Jesus Christ. And then certainly all of those people who go into the millennium, they will end up growing up in that thousand years, having kids, their kids will have kids, and the earth will be repopulated. It's during that time that we are involved somehow in leadership in the kingdom. Now, again, I don't know what that's going to look like, exactly how it's going to work, but we do know there will be people who, and you would think, I, Jesus reigning, Satan is bound, it should be a great time on the earth, and no doubt it will be. But Regardless, at the end of that time when Satan is loosed, he is able to gather a whole bunch of people on the earth who will join up with him and rebel against King Jesus. And so there's certainly that time when, unbelievably, there are people who have had every advantage, just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, and yet they'll still turn on the rule of, of our Savior. And so we're involved somehow. And so Probably that's what Paul is talking about back here in 1 Corinthians 6, about our future involvement in judging over probably fallen angels and perhaps over all the people. And maybe in some ways even we're supervising the good angels who are created to be servants during this time. There are some people who would interpret these verses a little differently. There are some who have even suggested that what Paul is talking about is someday we as Christians are going to take over the world on our own and we will be judging and you know we will have those positions. And that's something that's hard for me to buy. It doesn't really make sense. 
But really, ultimately, and then another thing to consider is when Jesus judges, we are in some ways exhibit A, because as he brings people to account for what they did with the testimony of Jesus, and they say, well, we didn't know, you know, we're not that smart and we couldn't figure it out, then he's going to point at us and go, do they look smart? <laughs> well, they figured it out. <laughs> they, they received me. They bought it. And so there we are as witnesses to stand with him as a part of what he had done. So again, back to chapter 6, what Paul is saying, I think, is, you know what? God has this amazing, glorious future for you. He has big plans for you. And for you to be involved in these petty lawsuits, and especially where the people that you are called to testify to, the people who you are called to be a good witness and a good example to, you're asking them to solve your problems. You know, you're going to people who aren't even Christians and saying, we can't get along as Christians. Can you solve our problem? Can you give us some of your wisdom? Paul's going, that just doesn't make sense. Uh, in a way, he's saying, you're spending all this time fighting with each other in the courts. You're better than that. You have a much more glorious future than that. You, you don't need to do that. It's a shame for you to be doing something like that. Now, he also goes on to say, not only, not only is it incongruous or inconsistent with your future, but he, he says, you know, if you can't judge pertaining to this life and appeal to those who are least esteemed in order to do it, verse 5, I say this to your shame, is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So his second reason is we're family. He spends most of this book of 1 Corinthians trying to explain to them what it is to be brothers and sisters in the Lord, what it is to be related, what it is to be connected. And as he goes on later in the book to explain, it's like, if your hand is cut off, you don't go, well, the whole rest of the body's good. The left hand's going, boy, I'm glad I'm not the right hand. And yet, so often that's the way we are. We go, okay, I'm this little part of the body, but I don't really care what happens to the rest of the body. He's saying, you're brothers, and I can't believe you can't figure out a way to solve this within the family of God. You're, you're too close for this. You're you're related and connected. And if we as Christians are to be an example to those who aren't Christians, what are we showing them about what family is, about how brothers and sisters treat each other? And so he says, hey, you know, first of all, if you're suing each other, that's just totally inappropriate for the future that God has for you. But then he also says, family shouldn't act this way. Isn't there somebody in your family who can take care of this? There's nothing more tragic than when family doesn't get along because we're created to be connected. And so often when there are two people in a family who have a clash and 
can't make their peace, it ends up affecting the whole rest of the family because we're connected. Maybe you've had this happen in your family. There are two people who have a fight or a disagreement. Maybe a, a kid who's mad at their parent or brothers being mad at each other or whatever. And it so divides because now everyone has to pick sides because, well, there's a holiday coming. We're going to get the whole family together, but he says he won't come if he comes. She's having a problem with him. Therefore, it's going to be really awkward to get everyone together. So how do we do this? And the whole family ends up being divided. And it's like, I don't know why the fa- I don't know what their problem is with each other. I like both of them, but they're both making me pick between them. You know, the most the biggest tragedies among Christians in lawsuits happen in family court. Happen when we divorce each other. And the Bible gives certain situations and and so this is why we know that this passage isn't just an absolute thing against all lawsuits, but because there are certain situations that make it permissible or allowable for people to get a divorce. But what a tragedy it is when that happens. What an embarrassment it is. What a blot on the body of Christ when two people who are one flesh can't get along. And what does it do to the whole rest of the family? It's like we're saying, You're not just husband and wife, you're also brother and sister, and you're refusing to get along. You can't work out your problems. Now you have to tear it apart. Now all of your friends have to pick, and it's so tragic when this happens. There's a man and wife who can't get along, and so their friends inevitably will have to choose one or the other. You ever try to be good friends with both parties when they're getting a divorce? you'll usually end up losing friendship with both of them because families aren't meant to be divided and torn apart. It's really sad a lot of times when you do a wedding and you see they're planning a wedding, but it's so awkward because you have the traditional mother mother and father of the bride and mother and father of the groom. One sits here, the other sits there. They come down, the husband walks down. Who gives this woman a holy matrimony and all that stuff? And they're like, well... What do you want them to say when you go, who gives this woman in holy matrimony her uh, mother's and her stepfather's and, well, and I've done weddings where they just like all say, we all do. Like, let's not. (laughs) But then you have, okay, who sits in which row and how do we do? It's so, it's such a mess. It's, It's so ugly. And it's such a, such a bad testimony to the world. And Paul's going, your family, don't you get it? Isn't there some way you can keep your family together? Isn't there some way? Is there not one wise person who can stand up and go, look, this is silly. You can fix this. You can work this out, your family. And so he says, for all of you as Christians, your family, and you should be able to deal with what comes along that tries to tear you apart, and that tries to force a division among you. And that's sad. It's sad to see two people who are good friends, and then they get in a dispute over something, and now they're suing each other. And they're, all, they're each trying to talk to people to get them to testify on their behalf. You know, let me be a character witness for you. Well, I already signed on to be a character witness for him. 
it becomes so messy. I've been involved in lawsuits. I've never sued anyone, but I've been sued by people who are Christians, and it's always so messy. It's always so ugly. It tears apart at the family, and if you try to be family when you're in the middle of it, it's just horrible. I remember one time we were, there was a lawsuit over an injury that happened to someone who was a Christian, and they were dear people. And here, our insurance company was, I thought was being kind of hard-nosed about not wanting to pay. And so then there was a dispute between, okay, what this person said or what this person said. And our attorney, before I went to testify, said, okay, if you had to say, oh, he goes, he goes, hey, I have a problem because these people, this one family, you said that they're good people. He goes, good people don't sue. I go, I understand that, but I go, they are good people. And he goes, you're going to really mess up our case. He said, <laughs> he said, now, if you are under oath and you say, okay, who's telling the truth? Who do you think's the most honest one? The person on our side or the person on the other side? And I said, both. He goes, great. He throws his stuff down. The attorney starts yelling at me. He goes, you're going to destroy our case. I go, so what are you telling me to lie? I go, no, this is really, this is something that went way too far. It should have been dealt with. And, and this is family. And, and they hated it when the people suing me saw me in the hall and came and gave me a hug. And it's like, boy, you're really messing us up. <laughs> but Paul would go, there's already something wrong with this picture. You guys are family. What are you doing? Why, why has it come to this? Families shouldn't do this. Now, as he goes on, so he said, first of all, this doesn't fit with your future the glorious future that God has prepared for you. Secondly, this isn't something that should happen with a family. But now, as he goes on to say in verse 7, now therefore it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? In other words, for you to sue, you already lost. Everyone loses. No one wins when brothers go against brothers in court. Everyone loses. It's a well, over in Proverbs, Solomon talking about lawsuits says this. He says, Do not go hastily to court. Don't be so quick to be litigious. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor. And do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. In other words, Solomon says, you know, be sure that it's worth what you're losing. Because when you get, in, when you get to the level of a lawsuit, when you're dragged before the courts, a lot of embarrassing things can come out. They can be even twisted in such a way that it's awful. I remember one time I was being sued by someone that used to work for me, and, and he was a great guy, I loved him, but he was suing me, and I get the papers, he's suing me for $6 million. And I'm like, whoa. And it's not that I felt like, 
oh no, $6 million, that's almost all my money. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I, I even said, why don't you make it $6 billion? It's like, but there was that feeling of, it's awful that somebody's going, I want to take everything that you have. And believe me, it's worth considerably under $6 million. <laughs> but as the lawsuit progressed and insurance companies were stubborn, I mean, it got to where I couldn't even see this guy and people who were in his family wouldn't have anything to do with me. Other people who were friends were affected just as he says, hey, this is brothers you're talking about. But eventually, the detectives looked into his life, started talking to people, found out some embarrassing things about him and crazy allegations. And it was just like, oh, boy. And the time it took out of my life, you know, at the end when he didn't get his $6 million, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like, woohoo, I won. I didn't win anything. And if we had gone, you know, and they said, well, you know, you have great grounds to counter sue and you could get, it's like, you know, if I won money, I would feel like this is blood money. This is making me sick. This whole thing's so disgusting. There wasn't any way I was going to win the case. And people go, oh, I heard you won. Are you kidding me? After several years of going through this misery, you don't win. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, as soon as you file, you lost. As soon as you get yourself into this quagmire, it's already a losing proposition. Make sure that, and he says, are you sure you wouldn't be better off just losing in the beginning and just letting it go? Oh, there are times when I've been wronged that I'm sure if I had put in the time and effort and money, I could have made something out of it. In this day and age, people are always doing things to you that are illegal. But I remember when I was younger, if you fell and got hurt, you just said, well, I'm clumsy. You can go find out who owns the land where you tripped in the hole or whatever. It was just, it was a different world. Today, it's never, there's no such thing as anyone just saying, whoops. It's always, it's your fault. And you know what? A, it, it's, it's ruining so much of our society and our lives because we don't take responsibility for ourselves. We blame everyone else for everything. And the truth is, it takes a big part of your life away. So much of what we pay for products is because of liability. And the insurance that protects anyone who, even in strict liability, if you make a perfect product, just the fact that you made it there's some sort of liability that you're taking on yourself. If you own a piece of property, there could be, you've heard stories about a guy who, you know, broke into a house and, and uh, as he was, he broke into the house, but he got trapped in the garage and the people were on vacation and their garage door was broken and he had locked the door going out of the house into the garage and he got stuck in the garage for eight days and he had to live on dog food that was in there and and some Pepsi-Cola, but, you know, then he sues them because it's their property, and their property, their homeowner's insurance had to pay a settlement, and it's like, this is, this is nuts, but you lose when you start is what Paul's saying. This is just not a game that anybody really wins. Now, I want to be careful as we talk about this to point out that this isn't saying anytime you end up in a lawsuit, it's a sin. 
There's never a time when you should sue someone else because I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's taught here. He's talking about small matters, matters of life, things you can afford to, to lose in. It, it's, probably, it's not a blanket prohibition. For instance, you know, if someone ends up trying to put a lien on my house and I don't owe money and it's a choice of giving them my house or going to court, I'm going to court. I mean, there are certain situations where you have to do it. But what Paul is saying here is take a look at it and make sure, even at best, is this going to be worth it? Most situations, you'd be better off just going, you know what? Here, just take it. Now, I couldn't afford to write a check for $6 million, so couldn't afford to do that. And there are certain situations where sometimes there are people who need to be stopped or they will continue to take advantage. There are some people who won't do business with Christians anymore because Christians sometimes take advantage of other people by going, I'm going to do a lousy job for you. I'm not going to do what you paid me to do, but I'm a brother in the Lord, so, you know, you can't sue me. And, you know, so I'm not saying, and I don't think Paul is saying, that there's never a time when you might have to go to court. But what he's saying is, think about it. You might, be, you might wish, after it's all over, you may wish you had just blown it off. That you may have just said, you know what? It's not worth it. It has to be worth a lot before it would ever be worth. The shame that comes on the body of Christ, the division that comes to the body of Christ, and ultimately the cost that it takes to be involved in a process like this. And then lastly, he says in verse 8, No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. And what he's saying here is, okay, the lawsuits, that's one thing. But he goes, how about backing up a little bit? How did you get into this mess in the first place? Why would people sue you, or why did you sue them? It's because you guys aren't treating each other the way you're supposed to be treating. You cheated, you messed up, somebody did. At some point, this could have been generally prevented. And so he says, let's back off a little from just the whole idea of whether or not it's right to sue a Christian. And let's talk about how are you treating people? Are you cheating them and they cheat you? And when you can't agree on who cheated the most, you end up going to court to let the court system figure it out? He goes, quit doing this. And again, his remedy, as is presented here, the same remedy that we saw that has been presented in the cases of somebody who's sinning within the body. How about going and dealing with it? Be honest with each other. Be upfront. So often, if we would do that, it would never compound into a greater situation. And here, it's the idea of, you know what? If you're in a situation where you're suing each other, yes, that's inappropriate compared to the glory that God has for you in his kingdom. And yes, that's something that just doesn't belong in a family. And yes, that's something that's going to cost you more than it's worth. But ultimately, it's showing that there was something wrong way before then, that you're not treating each other right, that you're lying and cheating and stealing with each other. Believe me, if we as Christians would act like Christians are supposed to act with each other, we would never even be threatened in a lawsuit. 
And we would never have to even be contemplating that. I've been involved, and there are a lot of people who take this passage and say, what we need is a church court. We need to set up groups of people who know the law, who we can bring in, and and we can deal with them and sue them in the church. Save us a lot of money. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, why don't you start treating each other nicely? It's not, this wasn't to create a huge bureaucracy of Christian litigation you know, or arbitration or whatever. It, it's to get people to go, if you'll be nice to each other, you're probably not going to get sued. You're probably not going to have to sue. Quit cheating each other, your family. Now, again, there, I, there have been times when I've been asked and a couple of times when I agreed to do it to get involved in Christian arbitration. In each case that I've been involved, there was already a lawsuit. And in order to try to stop the lawsuit, they said, well, we need to get a group of you know, Christian leaders together who can hear all the evidence and who could, you know, and so each side picked certain people to be on there to represent. And it was a mess. I never felt after any of those things that, oh good, we got it resolved. It just got uglier and bigger and more of a mess. And yeah, okay, there was no lawsuit then. But it was still a horrible witness. It was still, it wasn't the way it should have been done. Again, what Paul is saying is, isn't there one guy? Don't you have anybody who can cut, nip this at the bud? Who can stop this from multiplying into some big bureaucratic legal morass? And, and that's the way we're supposed to work. Now, here's how it happens. Okay, you're in a situation where you're not getting along with someone else. Let's take one case. It's a husband and wife. Now, you go, well, we're not even thinking about divorce. We're just having a fight. Isn't that okay? Well, I don't know. It's not good. And every divorce started out with a fight like the ones that we've all had many times. So you try to get together. How can we solve this situation? Now, it's never about one of you is really right and the other is really wrong. It's usually you're both wrong. It's just a question of how much and weighing it out. The question should be, can we deal with this? Well, if we can't, then how about let's pick somebody who we really respect, someone that we know is a man or a woman of prayer, someone that isn't a more of a friend of one of us than the other. And let's just let them make the call. And you go, well, wait a minute, I don't want to get... What difference does it make? You know, I was telling somebody I was counseling this week, in marriage disputes and fights that you have, I think you'd be totally fine if every time you disagreed on something, you just flipped a coin. And, and then, I, because it's, it never matters which decision you make, it's how you make the decision. Go up. Okay, it's heads, we do it your way. And then if you're afraid that your spouse is luckier than you are, (laughs) then you could do it like jump balls in the NBA and put an arrow on your your fireplace mantle, and it's like, okay, you got the last one, so next one's mine. And but if you if that doesn't work, then ask somebody else. How hard is it to go, okay, let's each tell our story in 30 seconds to someone that we respect, and we'll just let them make the call. Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be much easier than what develops from it? Same thing in a dispute with a brother or sister or somebody else. If you have to, he says, 
Come on, you, you could solve this with one person. It doesn't get easier with a jury of your peers. It gets messier. And I think most of the time when we have problems, we try to take it to a jury of our peers by telling everyone that we know everything that happens. And, you know, you have a fight with somebody. After a while, everybody in the church has an opinion about it because they've heard. And most of our, you know, usually when you're having a problem with somebody else, our opinion after hearing all the talk and all the gossip is, what I have told husbands and wives who are thinking of divorce many times, the most wise thing I've ever shared with spouses fighting is, you guys deserve each other. That's my conclusion. <laughs> you're both nuts. You're both off. You're both wrong. Now get back in there and solve it. Work this out. But that's how God's designed us to function. It's like, come on, we're family. We need each other. Let's get together and work it out. And our role as members in the body is to help people do that. Not to just listen to somebody's side of the story and say, oh, I pray you win, you know, or okay, well, call me as a witness, or worse yet, leave me out of this. But when you hear there's a problem that's going on in the body and you have a close enough relationship with them to hear about it, go, come on, let's get together and talk. Can we just do that? That's what... You know, Galatians says when somebody's caught up in a fault, why don't you sit down with them? See if you can work this out. See if you can make it happen. It doesn't take a lot of wisdom to solve most of the problems that we have. And all around us, it's not about, okay, let's, go to, let's call the pastor and see what he says. I think there's people all around us who have common sense and who are objective. If you can't work it out among yourselves... Bring another person into the process. And that will almost always resolve the problem, ultimately. It's when too many people get involved in it that it becomes much more complex. Because now I'm not just bugged at you because of what you did, or you bugged at me because of what I did, but we're both bugged at each other because of what other people know about it. And now I have something to fight for. Now I have something to win. If I lose here, I look like a loser to everyone. Paul would say, if you can't resolve your differences, you are a loser. You do look like a loser to everyone already. Now fix this. Look for a wise person if you need to, but don't escalate it. Don't make it a greater problem. It's not worth it. It's unchristian to try to do it that way. That's just not right. And ultimately, you're guilty. You shouldn't have been doing what you did that created this problem. Everyone who has a huge problem, you could back up the story into reverse and find a hundred different opportunities that either party had could have fixed it before it happened that way, before it escalated to that point. Well, if you didn't say this, then what would have happened? Well, I would have lost, and it would have been over, right? That's a win. That's a good thing. And so again... Paul's heart for the church in Corinth, for the people there, was, I see you tearing each other apart. I see the damage that you're doing to each other, and you know what? The world sees it too. The people that you are called to, to witness to see that you guys fight like cats and dogs. And he goes, the future that God has for you, you're better than that. You don't need to live that way. That's your family Families should be close. Families should get along. They shouldn't be torn apart. And 
If you allow this to happen, everyone loses. We all lose. Ultimately, treat each other right. Be nice to each other. This won't happen. A good word for us today. Whether you've been thinking about suing somebody or whether you've just got all these uncomfortable relationships going on because you haven't made them right. You haven't allowed God to heal the body the way he wants to, the family the way it is. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word.